0: Welcome to the Drilling Down Podcast, this episode number 29, as we are in our fourth installment, number four of our Through the Bible series. This one, this one right here is going to get us out of Genesis. Wow. In only four six hour installments. (laughs) No telling how long this is going to go. Welcome to the Drilling Down Podcast. Head, if you would, to iTunes and subscribe and give us a review. That will help others see it and join in. I just want to say, my name is Kyle Gray. Thanks for taking the time to listen wherever you are and however you may be listening. We are into Genesis chapter 33 right now, where our hero, Jacob... (laughs) And I use that word loosely. <laughs> Jacob is about to encounter his brother Esau. Now, remember, Esau had become his kind of lifelong enemy through this line of deceit and lies, trickery, and conspiring. Jacob knows. All that he's done to his brother, okay? Jacob is fully aware of this. <laughs> and, and in most people's opinion, Esau's got every right, you know, to want to kill him. And so we find him in verse 1 here as of chapter 33. As Jacob, the Bible says, lifted up his eyes. Kyle, we've talked about this. I know. And he saw Esau coming with 400 savage warrior beastmen. Jacob throws himself at the feet of Esau. He's weeping. He bows seven times as if to say, don't kill me, man. I'm sorry. I was stupid. I was young. Been there. I was selfish. Been there. I was prideful. I was disrespectful. I was evil. I was cunning. And before he could even finish the list, of his past atrocities. I mean, picture this scene. Jacob just falls at the mercy of his brother. And before he could even finish getting it out, the Bible says Esau, who had been swindled and cheated out of so many things, stands at the feet of the sobbing Jacob. And he says, stand up, my brother, stand up. Stand up, Jacob. And Esau breaks into tears. It's this very moving moment where they embrace each other. Esau, the red, somehow full of compassion, full of love, full of forgiveness. He holds him and together they weep. A quick glimpse into this moment here in chapter 33 shows us the difference in their hearts. You know, it's like I remember back with Cain and Abel and Esau sees all these people with Jacob and he asks, who are they? Who are all these people? And listen to Jacob's answer carefully. Don't miss this. Okay. If you're reading along with us, Jacob says, these are the children who God has graciously given to your servant, Jacob. Listen to that. Jacob gives Yahweh the glory. He gives. He was messed up, man, but he still knew to give Yahweh the honor and the credit and the glory. And friends, if there's anything I hope you've learned through the first three episodes of Through the Bible, it's that God wants the glory for his work. God demands the glory for his work. And when we don't give it to him, when we don't, you know, give back with what is His to begin with. (laughs) When we put other things in front of His glory, maybe we put our pride in front of His honor. It's always bad news for us. And I love that. As Jacob is sobbing, Esau is sobbing, gets to wrap his arms around his brother and say, I love you, man. And Jacob gives Yahweh the glory and the credit. Jacob safely departs and the brothers go their separate ways. What a miracle of God. I mean, think of it in the last episodes, how, how, how much Jacob and Esau had just gone through, grown and matured in their faith over time. And I always say this when I'm preaching, uh, us changing, the, the Christians changing, growing, maturing, it should be a sign that God's working in us. It doesn't mean the sins of our past aren't going to catch up with us in one way or another, but it means that we're growing. It means that we're maturing and we're forgiving and we're being humbled. It doesn't mean the sins of your past are wiped out. And Jacob's going to find this happening with a short little story here as we move into chapter 34. The sins of his past, so to speak. The generational, you know, curses that go along with all of our families (laughs) hold true. This very strange chapter of Genesis chapter 34 comes out of nowhere. This is a dark chapter, man. (laughs) Remember the roller coaster of ancient Hebrew writing. Remember up down, happy, sad, darkness, light, right? It's so good. That that teeter-totter and that that tug of war, it's so good. Well, <laughs> we're about to see that all over again as we just leave a weeping, forgiveful, thankful Jacob and Esau. We move into chapter 34, and we're gonna plunge into a dark chapter that that God's name isn't even mentioned in this chapter. <laughs> I got a feeling God wants nothing to do with this chapter. (laughs) Long story short. Thank you, Kyle. Remember when Jacob was at the baby-making factory of Uncle Laban? Yeah, we had some fun with that one. Remember Leah? Remember that she had a daughter named Dinah? Well, Jacob, and that was an anglicized version of her name. Get over it. Jacob had moved on to a place called Shechem now. Okay, so Jacob leaves, goes to Shechem with his entire family, all his men, all his lady friends, all of his wealth. It was a whole thing now, you know, they were truly blessed. They were, they were a force to be reckoned with, man. And so here they all come in all of their glory into Shechem. There was a man that ruled there named Hamor and he had a son, the Bible says, named Shechem. There were some powerful guys there. And here comes Dinah. She rolls into the city one day, into Shechem, to hang out with some friends. You know, go to a paint and pour. Hit up CrossFit with the ladies. (laughs) Go to Ruby Tuesdays and wail on that salad bar and happy hour margaritas. You know, the yush. Dinah shows up and Hamor's son, Shechem, sees her. He's a powerful man. He sees her and he sees that she's ultra hot. Kyle, it seems like most most of the women from this blessed family end up being ultra hot. Shechem sees this and Shechem wants her. And the Bible says Shechem rapes her. Now, listen, Shechem raped a daughter of Yahweh's blessed chosen men. Oops. The Bible says Shechem loved raping her so much that he told his dad to pay any amount to get her. Classy guy. (laughs) And so dad asks Jacob and his sons, the dad does, What's the price? What's the price for us to have your daughter, your sister? I'll pay anything because my son wants her that bad. And Jacob's sons learn that Shechem had raped her and they become furious, as you would if someone raped your sister and is now trying to buy her. And so the sons bypass Jacob completely and make a side, side door deal with the dad, Hamor. And they say, okay, yes, you can buy our sister if, listen, if every man in the whole city will get circumcised with the, as the same, you know, that the Israelites were, then we could intermarry. I mean, it sounds legit to me. All the Israelites are circumcised. If we want to intermarry with these hot ladies, we'll do it too. What's the big deal? And So the deal is done and all the men of Shechem head down to Wang Chungville. Now, something you need to know about Wang Chungville is that all is calm and peaceful in that cozy little town until day three. Oh, day three after circumcision in Wang Chungville becomes so sore. You become so overwhelmed with pain that you can hardly function. That's the plan. Day three hits as all of these guys in the city have been circumcised just to get this idiot, Shechem, the hot chick that he wants. I'll tell you what, I ain't doing that for none of my friends. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Jacob's sons on day three, here they come. They rush in, the Bible says, while all the men were sitting on their couches watching soap operas with bags of frozen peas on their chungvils. Jacob's sons, listen, rush in and hack them to pieces. Simeon and Levi, to be exact. Yeah, that Simeon and Levi of the 12 tribes fame. These guys were a huge deal. They come in, they murder. Listen, every last man, including the dad, Hamar, and his son Shechem. And they take the women and children, kicking, screaming, crying, and shattered. They plunder the city, and they return home. Now listen. Okay, Kyle. Why why even put this in the Bible? Because this makes us look really bad, right? <laughs> you know, this is our Christian heritage, you know? And we're going to get into way more than this as we move, move you know, through the next few books of the Torah. This is our Christian heritage. Indeed it is. And we're only halfway through the book of Genesis. (laughs) Hang on, it gets a lot more horrific. (laughs) Listen, every hero that you have in the Old Testament has a closet of skeletons. So do you. Every man and woman that God has ever used has been highly flawed. Get over that. That's what the Bible is, my friends. It doesn't hide that it doesn't It doesn't hide the fact that we have a Saviour either who crashed straight into our mess to rescue us from the eternal effects of it as messy as it gets, and this town of Shechem is completely destroyed. In verse 30, we see that Jacob is horrified at what his sons have done. He's devastated, but, you know, let's look at his response a little closer. Sure, remember, Jacob was a patriarch, right? We know this now. He was a huge deal, but he was still that selfish man that he'd always been. You know, in the scripture, Jacob's never labeled as an even really good man ever, but God still used him. Verse 30, Jacob says to Simeon and Levi, he says, you, what have you done that you've gone and killed all these men in the city and you've taken all these women and children captive. You've brought, listen to what he says, not, you know, shame on you for Moving in on day three when they were all sitting on frozen peas and hacking them all to pieces. Listen to what he says. He says, You've brought trouble on me, kids, by, listen, making me stink to the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites and the Parasites. My numbers are few. And if they gather themselves against me, you idiots, they attack me. Surely, he says, I will be destroyed. Both me and my household. I'm going to read that again and put my own inferences back into it. Jacob says to Simeon and Levi, You have brought trouble on me by making me stink to the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites and the Perizzites. My numbers are few. And if they gather themselves against me and attack me... I shall be destroyed, both, we're not done, me and my household. Holy cow, man, what was that, like eight first-person references here? <laughs> yeah. The old Jacob the deceiver was more upset that word would get out in the land that his moron sons had rashly uh, what they'd done, and it might ruin his life. More than he's worried that they just murdered, you know, a whole town in cold blood. They plundered it all for themselves. I mean, after all, back in verse 6 there, where he finds out she had been raped in the first place, Jacob keeps quiet about it. You know, oh, sorry that happened, babe, but uh, let's not disturb the family fortunes. (sighs) Jacob's not the greatest man. Dinah, who was raped, was his daughter with Leah. Now, you remember that whole sex farm. Leah was the one that Jacob didn't loved. Scholars can't help but wonder if Dinah had been from Rachel. My guess is when she was raped, things would have been different. It's so sad. There was much favoritism in this family and it would continue for a very long time. Now, I I want us to stop here and take note. The Canaanites, look, here's here's the thing, and this is really important. (laughs) Ding, ding. The Canaanites are becoming a problem, okay? The Canaanites are becoming a big problem. They are coming early on here and they are Rumbling onto the scene, showing us that they won't be messing around. The Canaanites were becoming a problem. Those of you who have listened to my episodes on the Nephilim will start understanding where I'm going with this, that we are going to really get into in the next few books of the Torah. Let me ask you a question. Uh, You know, what happens in your life when, when you're confronted with this? You know, when you get that gut feeling inside that you know you're disobeying. When you know you're letting sin creep in. You know, you're allowing the door to just crack open a little bit to your heart. Maybe it's a sin that you struggle with your whole life, a propensity, you know, whether it's porn for you, maybe it's, uh, it's lust, maybe it's greed, you know, maybe it's, you know, not forgiving people, you know, pride, arrogance, you know, whatever, you know, that it's coming back, you know, that you're disobeying, you know, that you're letting sin creep back in, you know it, but listen, you keep letting it in that one glance at porn at a time. That $1 stolen from work. That that just one vulnerable night out of town at the hotel bar. Guys, don't lose sight of the fact that Simeon and Levi in the future, listen, would be passed over in Jacob's blessing a few chapters down the road that we're going to get into. Undoubtedly, as a result of this brainless, impassioned act of violence. Letting sin go unchecked in our lives, not consulting God, always, always comes with consequences. And so we roll into chapter 35, and despite it all, and this is, you know... (laughs) This is why the God that I see in the Bible is unlike what the world is going to tell you, that we serve a God who is vengeful and unfair and cruel. Because despite Jacob's behavior, listen, God still blesses him and uses him as he had promised. God changes his name from Jacob to Israel. Jacob commanded the people to, to put aside their lowercase gods. Now, that's good. Jacob, I mean, he's not, he's learning. He's a mess up, but he's learning. And so he says, okay, guys, we need to put away our lowercase gods now are drilling down. We know that's what that's all about. If you've listened for some time now. Okay. So there's a part of chapter 35 here that is just so easily overlooked. I love this part. Verse 10. Okay. Verse 10 tells us that Jacob had his name changed to Israel, right? Okay. No big deal. Wait. This, Kyle, this happened back in chapter 32 at Peniel. Remember that? When, you know, when he wrestled with God. Have you ever noticed that it says that again here? Because he did have his name changed back then. Have you ever wondered why it's brought up here again by Moses? Well, I got a theory. So do many many other scholars, and I am not a scholar, but scholars that are uh, way smarter than me. The idea of this great renewed man in Jacob. The fact that he wrestled with God and he got named Israel, it had been some time since that happened and this idea that he was great had become faded. It had become lost to time. He had reverted as so many Christ followers can do. He had relapsed into the old Jacob of constant disappointment. You know you can have these amazing times where you wrestle with God. And then we wander away. Maybe things get better. Hmm? Maybe we we come into a job that we get our money back. Maybe we we get healthy again. Whatever it is, we wander back into our old ways. We revert. And we relapse sometimes into the old Kyle Gray of disappointment, swallowed into my sins. I love this part of chapter 35 because what happened at Peniel had finally come to fruition. Guys, sometimes, sometimes, like Jacob when he wrestled with God and now again at his renewing, sometimes when God starts a plan in us, listen, we screw it up. Sometimes it takes time. And this was a sort of renewal of marriage vows, you could say, for Jacob, now Israel. I mean, how cool is that? That the past, God is saying. Yahweh says, the past will now be behind you. Leave the old Jacob behind. This is a new beginning. We serve a God of new beginnings. Leave the old Jacob behind. You are now named Israel. Man, I love that. Leave the old Kyle behind. Put your name in there. Leave it behind. God is ready to start a new beginning. I love that. And God blesses Israel and he says, now go. Be fruitful and multiply. Kyle, how many times does God have to keep saying this and rebooting his plan because we keep screwing it up? I know. (laughs) And we aren't even through Genesis. What a patient God we serve. Verse 18, Rachel, the Bible says, goes into hard labor with her final son. It's an important one in his name. Is going to be called Benjamin. And Rachel, who Jacob loved, dies in labor, just like that. This portion of scripture has Isaac dying as well here in chapter 35 at the young age of 180. What a life that guy lived, huh? from his dad, nearly sacrificing him on that altar, you know, believing that he would be resurrected, but still was going to go through with it as a young man to seeing all that we had just studied. I mean, it's like, okay, in 2018, 2019, right now, we're coming up here. It's like someone dying that was born back in 1838, Think of what they have seen. The ups, the downs, the happy, sad, the life, the death. (laughs) In contrast to the last chapter where God is mentioned zero times, he is mentioned 20 times in this one. Back and forth. Chapter 36 if you're following along talks about Esau's descendants and this chapter reveals that Jacob and Esau were both well basically so wealthy. <laughs> they both had so much that they, you know, they couldn't dwell in the same land together because it was pretty much unsustainable. Kyle, this sounds like Abraham or Abram at the time and Lot. I remember one made a bad decision and one made a right decision. I know. <laughs> You getting sick of me doing that already? I'm not going to stop. Good and bad, right and wrong, righteous and sinful. We all have a choice, my friends, every single day. And so Esau moves and creates the culture that we'll see many more times in our upcoming studies of the Edomites. I always love to point out here something really cool and uh, divine. Here is that Moses, who's writing this to us, obviously, so very many years later, Moses knew by divine revelation that Israel would eventually have a king. I love that way back in chapter four, Moses writes of seven generations of the line of Cain, if you remember. And here he echoes that with the seven generations of the line of Esau. Now, I know you've breezed over this portion so many times, but this is important. Genealogies are important. Seven, as you know by now, is the biblical number of completeness, indicating, indicating guys, these lines of generations are complete. They're finite, and they're all wrapped up right here entirely with a bow. Esau's line was blessed from Isaac, remember that? But Jacob got the greater blessing. So while Esau had, you know temporary blessings, he had wealth, he had power, that would be gone soon, forever lost to history in just seven generations, leading to the sad point that none of Esau's descendants were even mentioned in the future registry of the faithful and all are entirely lost to history. Another important thing to note here in chapter 36, it records Esau's sons who, who it says were born, listen, in the land of Canaan. In sharp contrast to Jacob's sons who are recorded by Moses as being born out of the land of Canaan. But moving back in. We have two totally different scenarios with these two brothers. Note that. There's another thing I want you to note as well. We see here that Esau immediately sets up a powerful nation with rulers and lines of kings. Have you ever noticed that? Where Jacob does no such thing. He actually, he moves on and he continues to wander. But he lets God lead the way. Now, while Jacob certainly had his shortcomings, you start to see here that the the contrast is there to setting up your life with God at the center versus setting up your life with yourself at the center. Never forget this, my friends. A promised spiritual blessing demands patience and it demands faith. Waiting while others prosper is a test of one's faithfulness and perseverance boy did I learn that as we came up here a few years ago to start a new church having sold everything I've talked about this in uh, in my narcissistic uh, documentary of myself I think it was last episode even uh, but the fact that we sold everything moved into campers didn't know where we were going to live and we live in America so don't feel bad for me you know I mean, even the worst day here in this great country is uh is uh, is just fine But you talk about testing that, well, you know, social media exists and you see that things were really hard there for a few years, uh, you know, and uh, you had to rely solely on God amidst seeing other people prosper greatly. And you got to say, Lord, I know you got a plan here. I made the choice to follow you. I know you got a plan waiting while others prosper friends is a test of your faithfulness and perseverance if you're having trouble with that right now in your life i would definitely take a sabbatical from social media (laughs) and i would get yourself centered with the lord every single day before you do anything you should be doing this anyway is jump into the word and say god if you don't go before me today i have absolutely positively no chance of survival Jacob didn't get a lot of things right, but in the end, he got that one right. And when it came to the fork in the road, like Lot and Abram, Jacob and Esau, who would go one way, who would go the other way, who would set themselves up in power with ruling, you know, it looked the same way that the rest of the world did with kings and governors and provinces and cities who would wander and say, Lord, where you take me, I will go. You're faced with that choice daily. Jacob makes the right choice. And that leads us into chapter 37. Boy, this is where it starts getting good. <laughs> enter my man, Joseph. Verse 3 hits and we already get a, a bad start for Joseph. <laughs> now, before we even, okay, okay, before we even enter into this super familiar story, you all, obviously, you know where this story, Uh, I want to look at it in the historical light that we've been studying it, okay, rolling into here. You now have context on dad, Jacob. You have context uh, and, you know, it's a big picture of his mistakes, his exploits, his deceiving. uh, What else? He was not a great man. (laughs) Uh, God still used him, though, and God still blessed him because God keeps his promises. This gives me a lot of hope for myself. (laughs) Jacob, no shocker, He's not a good dad. (laughs) So right out of the gate, we see that he loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. The Bible says that he loved Joseph. Because he was, after all, the firstborn of his beloved Rachel. Jacob's favorite wife. Favorite. Jacob always had favorites so did his dad (laughs) generational curses now Joseph as enters here was a 17 year old spoiled brat (laughs) you know I mean probably not his fault but whatever favoritism we know runs in this family big time so instead of learning from it instead of growing out of it they keep making the same mistakes generational curses over and over again what are things that your parents and you know they they complain about their gran, their parents who are your grandparents and your parents and what are some things that you know you you take and then you try to do better with your kids you don't want to make the same mistakes over and over and over again and Jacob's dad Isaac had favorites so break those generational curses people <laughs> take what you didn't like and change it for the good your kids will do the same. Someday with your grandkids. So, obviously, Jacob loves Joseph the most because he is the firstborn from Rachel and he not only treats him as a favorite and gives him all the very best of the best things and gives him all, you know, the breaks on the punishment and all that kind of stuff. He even makes him a freaking neon flashing billboard to wear around (laughs) to constantly remind his brothers who the spoiled, rotten, babied, pampered favorite one was. (laughs) And Joseph, look, 17-year-old kid not knowing any better, quite frankly, was probably enjoying the favoritism, and he wore it. He wore it a lot. He probably wore it to bed. He wore it when he woke up. He wore it when he was working out. Somehow he wore it all the time. And his brothers hated it. Verse 4, and only verse 4 here. We see that because of this nepotism, his brothers hate him. Now, I could see situations with Joseph and his angry brothers, maybe at least being livable. You know, tolerable. I can get past it ever. Mom and dad's always got their favorite. Except... Except, spoiled daddy's boy Joseph takes it up another level. He's got to take it up another notch. He's got to turn the family campfire (laughs) into a blazing inferno of hatred by pouring gasoline all over it. Gasoline from God. the gasoline that Joseph poured on it from God came as you know in the form of dreams and if you watch closely you're going to see how Yahweh sometimes allows us to go through the worst times in order listen to prepare us to handle the best times do you you see that you're going through a really hard time in your life Perhaps God wants to teach you something because if he gave you the best times, you wouldn't know how to deal with it responsibly and in a Christ-centered way. I mean, I sincerely doubt spoiled, spoiled Joseph would be able to handle who he would need to become without some refining moments here without some hardships. Remember, hardships for the Christian force us to make a choice, right? It's God's way or it's my way. It's God's plan, not my plan. And my way looks like this. Hang on guys, Uh, I'll handle this situation. (laughs) I'll get my own revenge. I'll make sure, I'll make sure someone, I'll make sure so-and-so pays for what they've done. I'll get angry at my situation all I want to. I'll blame everyone but myself for what's happened. It's me against the world now, and I'm going to war over this. Well, God's way looks like this. Lord, I surrender to you. I don't know why this is happening right now. I don't know, but I can only control what I could control. And so I am going to give you the glory. I'm gonna give you the honor. I'm gonna beg for you to go before me so that I can be loving, so that I can be kind, and so that I can be humble. And so that I can allow you to work through me. Now the choice is yours. Here comes the gasoline. Joseph, Joseph has a few dreams. He shares them with the fam. You can read the dreams for yourself, but Joseph basically tells the family that soon. Listen, guys, gather around, everyone. Gather around. (coughs) Don't mind my my rainbow coat. I had a dream last night that all of you brothers and you dad and you servants and you farm animals will all be bowing down and serving me. (laughs) <laughs> what it says the spoiled kid in the technicolor dream Code. it's not like his brothers needed another reason to hate him <laughs> and uh, this was it unicorn boy was headed for the rainbow bridge and into the void of space and time forever his brothers had enough we're gonna be bowing down to you you jerk face one day his brothers were out in the field, you know, doing actual work <laughs> when Josephine decided to put on his rainbow superhero suit and go out and find them. Now, you can't exactly hide when you look like the tricks bunny coming across the prairie. So they saw him. The Bible says, remember, they hated him. And so therefore, uh, usual story, they conspire to kill him. We all have choices. This wasn't just a, boy, he really bugs us. This was, we want to kill him. They were going to throw him into a pit and leave him for dead. And they could blame his death on a wild animal, perhaps one that loved Skittles. So the Bible tells us Reuben was absent when the plans were made. And once returning, he he goes. What are you guys doing? You know, don't don't kill him. After all, the Rubinator was—he was the one. If you don't, if you haven't read this story, he was going to be responsible for Joseph's safety, and uh, he would also have to give the tragic report. You know, to Dad upon returning home, right? And so here comes Jojo across the field. They see the Josephine and they strip him of his juicy fruit emo trench coat and they throw him into a waterless pit to rot and to die and then the Bible says they calmly sit down (laughs) and enjoy a meal (laughs) anybody hungry (laughs) a long story short Joseph at the pleading of his brother is sold into slavery to the Ishmaelites the Midianites We'll get into that later. The Ishmaelites, as they pass by. Remember, the Ishmaelites were descendants uh, of Abraham, by the way of Hagar. Remember that? And the Midianites were Abraham, but by the way of Keturah. Now, we did all that in the last episode. So, in many ways, the Ishmaelites and the Midianites, they're interchangeable. So, when you hear that, some people argue, oh, it was the Ishmaelites. It was the Midianites. Why do we have two separate accounts? They're the same family. And the brothers take the world's greatest sun rainbow coat and they coat it with blood from a goat and they take it home and they blame an animal attack and they watch as dad, Jacob, Israel, sobs uncontrollably. Now listen, the brothers had a choice, didn't they? Albeit a hard one. They could embrace Joseph as the chosen one. Okay, God says you're the chosen one. We're all going to be worshiping you. You won't like it. We don't like that, but we have to embrace it or they could reject him and they could destroy him. They took the latter. They took things, again, into their own hands. That is and of itself, you know, tells me who shouldn't be leading. Guys, the same brothers who had plotted to kill so many back in Shechem when their sister was defiled, now plot to kill their own brother? I mean, you got choices to make, people. Change or stay the same you've always been. We've all got those friends that we had in junior high and high school, and we knew it then. <laughs> we knew it then. This 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 person is never going to change. They are going to be this person and friendless when they are 45 years old. <laughs> they are not going to change and you see they don't change now my kids have those friends now too or or people in their classes and i say i always replace their friends names with my friends names back then who i knew oh <laughs> well, let me tell you who that is that is such and such change or stay the same you've always been now Joseph may have been spoiled, but he was faithful. And he, at least when God spoke to him in a dream, there wasn't a popular opinion with his coat on, but he spoke honestly and at least he was genuine. Oh, the irony. I remember one time Jacob had deceived his own father with a sacrificial goat. Using the goat hair, he superglued them to his arms to get a blessing. And now the trickster was the one being tricked. Friends, we reap what we sow and our families and generations suffer. They weren't sad. The brothers didn't have remorse. Imagine... The younger brother Benjamin who basically saved his life and said sell him to slavery (laughs) He, he can die there but don't leave him to die here how terrible Benjamin must have felt another sad story in this line of bad people in this family of lies and this was truly the lowest point yet darkness light sad happy bad good And the very last verse of chapter 37 tells us a story that's just the beginning. A sad ending is merely the beginning of something God is about to use greatly. There's about to be a spark of hope in the darkest of nights. As Israel is crying at the loss of his beloved Joseph his death the brothers were living with that remorse verse 36 says meanwhile the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar an officer of Pharaoh the captain Of the guard oh how this story is about to come to life Joseph if you don't know is what's known in Scripture as a type of Christ a type is a symbol uh, of the Lord Jesus in the Old Testament and there can be anywhere from uh, I think you can point out a hundred at least 120 of these types between even just Joseph and Jesus isn't that crazy a hundred at least a hundred Of these types between them he was loved by his father he rebuked the sins of his brothers he was hated and sold into the hands of his enemies he was punished unjustly he was exalted and became the savior of the world all the world would have to come to him for bread he gets a gentile bride while being rejected Jesus in the church, if your brain is misfiring. <laughs> Friends, Joseph was about to be tested. He was about to be refined. And it wasn't going to be easy, but I have to tell you, it never is. And I'm a firm believer, guys, that the bigger God's plan is for you, it seems oftentimes the more hardships you're probably going to have to endure. Not everyone can handle that. Maybe God has chosen you. We interrupt this roller coaster biblical story with chapter 38 of the book of Genesis. A bizarre and seemingly irrelevant storyline and plot twist that just may reveal deeper meaning, although not on the surface. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you chapter 38. God putting people to death. Guys having sex with women and pulling out deceptively so that their man-seed doesn't find the lady's garden. God getting upset with that and putting more men to death. Women deceptively acting as cult prostitutes, having sex with their father-in-laws for a blessing and more exciting insane twists and turns. Welcome to the Bible. Oh, chapter 38. Chapter 38, chapter 38, chapter 38. Uh, Read chapter 38 for yourself. You know, what the crap, man? Uh, it seems really out of place and it comes out of nowhere. So I'm going to sum it up for you. Okay there. I, think, I thought we were just talking about Joseph and this whole. Yeah, we were. Uh, but yeah, okay. So we see God having a trend of selecting the younger boy over the older boy many times in scripture. Remember, God's ways are not our ways. And we always try to make the oldest son the blessed one. And here comes this crazy story dropped straight into the narrative of Joseph, (laughs) but it's a profound one. What happens when God has a plan and we try to reject that plan to make one for ourselves? Well, we're about to find out. I'm going to make this easy and quick. Do you remember Judah? You remember the brother who suggested they sell Joseph to the Ishmaelites? (laughs) He then leaves after lying to his dad about his brother's death. He goes and he finds a new home and he marries, listen, a Canaanite woman. Whoops. Mistake number one. This was forbidden for a reason. Again, head back to our episodes on the Nephilim. God despised these wicked people. That's why he would use Egypt as a safe incubator for more than 400 years, guys, to grow his people out of harm's way of these things, these Canaanites. Judah goes and has three sons out of this wicked marriage, Ur, Onan, and Shelah. Ur dies, well, the Bible says, because he's wicked. Plot twist, Ur was married to Tamar. Onan now was to plant his seed in his brother's widow to help keep his lineage going. (laughs) Just wait till we get to the book of Ruth. Onan takes advantage, and we won't get into it right now, of God's law of marriage and purposefully, shall I say, misses the mark. Plot twist. When taking the old Onan trolley to Pleasure Town with Tamar. Anyway, God is not pleased. And Onan is not allowed to live. Plot twist. With this situation at hand, Shayla is supposed to be next in line. Both brothers are dead according to God's plan. Again, more on this later. Judah disobeys and leaves the family's legacy in jeopardy. Plot twist. Tamar takes matters into her own hands and basically tricks Judah into bringing his own baby magic into her by dressing up as a prostitute and doing the nasty with him longer story even shorter Judah finds out that Tamar is pregnant and he condemns her to death by burning how did you get pregnant woman? and then she plot twist reveals that he is the father She tricked him. Oh, snap. Tamar, then, listen, becomes the way in the line of Judah that it's preserved, although it's born out of deceit and lies. Kyle, I'm seeing a trend here. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Tamar has twins with Judah's bamboozled sperm deposit and... Kyle, I've seen this twin things before. I know. Twin boys. Kyle, I've. I know. The first twin's hand comes out, but the other twin denies his exit and busts through the uterus like the Kool-Aid man to come out first. Plot twist. It's like Jacob's... it's, It's... It's like Jacob's ruling over his older brother Esau was being lived out again in the line of Judah. (laughs) Once again, the younger brother gains advantage despite all human attempts to stop it. Guys, God's way is not our way. The brothers knew God wanted Joseph to lead them. They heard the dreams. They understood, yet they were jealous and hated him and disobeyed God. Jesus one day would be born into the line of Judah. This wicked story, guys, proceeds our Savior. And Tamar is one of only five women mentioned in Matthew's genealogy of Jesus. Think about that. Three out of five of these women uh, mentioned in Matthew's genealogy of Jesus were guilty of immorality. Tamar, Rahab, Bathsheba. While the other two contrasted that entirely. Ruth and Mary. Good and bad. Light and darkness. Do you see? So 1700 years after this disastrous event of Judah and Tamar, a savior is going to come from that line. <sighs> Judah founded the tribe that produced the Messiah by sleeping with his widowed daughter-in-law because he thought she was a prostitute serving as a pagan goddess. Guys, (laughs) if Jacob and his family would have remained in wicked Canaan any longer, how long would it have been before they degenerated into this bunch of sexually immoral, pagan rejects. My guess is some of you may be in this exact same boat right now. You're at a crossroads in your life with some big decision in your life that sin is obstructing. I gotta say, my friends, God's plan or my plan. I suggest you take God's way out now. Okay. Okay, let's stop for a second, take a breath, Oh, stretch it out. <laughs> we got to look at the bigger picture here. This is why I love the Hebrew writing. Chapter 37 closes with Joseph being sold off into Egypt, just as Jesus would be rejected and sold off to the Gentiles. Just before we're told what becomes of Joseph, the Holy Spirit traces for us in, in typical outline the history of the Jews. While the anti-typical Joseph is absent from the land. Guys, Joseph's brother's horrible actions are meant to contrast what is about to come. But this shouldn't surprise you now that you you know how Hebrew stories are brilliantly written. Now, I always like to take a note here, just in case you're still wondering why on earth this is still in the Bible. <laughs> Because it's a foreshadowing of what happens when God's people intermarry with foreign women. And this is a huge deal coming up in the Old Testament. If you marry foreign women, it leads to worship of foreign gods. And Israel was to be set apart. So many things, so many laws, so many commandments that we are going to study in the Old Testament have everything to do with this. Guys, foreign gods. I hope the Bible is starting to come to life for you. 39 rolls in and we're talking about Joseph once again. Thank you, Kyle. <laughs> As he is in the care of Potiphar. Ah, such a familiar story for our man Joseph, the curse of being insanely handsome. Thankfully God has spared me of this burdensome weight. <laughs> you know the story. Joseph gets traded off to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh himself bought him from those Ishmaelite traders. Wow, what luck, huh? God always has a plan, though it might not look how we want it to look. God had to trade Kyle Gray off to a new state, a new city, (laughs) a new location entirely before he changed me forever and profoundly started remaking me into what he desired for me to be. I don't want you to miss something really important here. Okay, verse two, it's the phrase, the Lord was with Joseph as he had been traded off. The Lord was with Joseph. This is the key. Don't ever forget that the Lord is with you right now. Don't waste another thought on wondering where God is. He didn't go anywhere. Now, I'm going to go long story short here because, you know, if If you're not familiar with this part of the story, pause and read Genesis chapter 39. It's going to take you like three minutes, okay? The ultra-handsome Jojo in the Technicolor Dreamcoat ends up out of the trade business in the house of one of the most powerful men in the nation of Egypt, the most powerful country on earth. Pretty awesome, huh? Negatory. Because Potiphar's wife is also ultra-horny. And that's ultra-horrible. But the Lord was with Joseph, but that doesn't make him impervious to a fallen world. What that's saying is something, something, something like you can't be held responsible for other people's actions, only your own, right? Potiphar, the Bible says, loved Joseph. Clearly he was blessed. Kyle, this sounds like Abram and Isaac and Jacob, and I know. And the potster tells, us, t- tells the Jocinator who's in charge, he puts him in charge of everything that he's got. He tells him, this is all yours, take care of it. I mean, wow. Maybe this is why Joseph had those dreams of all those people bowing down to him. Nope. Think bigger. God always does. Somebody told me one time, and I'll never forget it, today is not your forever. God has something bigger in store for you, but he he won't make a move on it until your ego can handle it. Time to grow. Time to put your faith into action, even when things get hard. Verse five of chapter 39, God says, God says, I'm blessing the whole house and all Potiphar has simply because Joseph lived there and I loved him that much. Now we've seen this and we'll keep seeing it. Just wait until the mysterious and supernaturally charged Ark of the Covenant shows up. (laughs) The Bible says Joseph was super hot with a ripped physique. Again, the parallels Between myself and Joe are becoming abundantly clear. Oh, but Potiphar's horny wife had eyes and she could see his beauty and she wants it. And she doesn't mess around and she straight up demands him to sleep with her. Okay, hit the pause button. (laughs) Before we quickly think, gross, man, do the right thing, Joseph. She's a skank. Like, this decision should be so easy. Remember, Joseph's in a new land. Nobody knows him. Sleeping around or having multiple wives was an everyday thing in his culture. He was single and ready to mingle. Potiphar was always gone, doing the important work of, you know, Pharaoh. Nobody would know. She was hot. He was hot. Egypt was really hot, literally. So why not? Joseph, just so you know, is one of the rare good guys in the Bible. There's only a handful of them that are held in this high of esteem. Potiphar's wife comes on to him, he refuses, but it's not the refusal that ever catches my attention when I'm reading this, when I'm reading this and studying this. It's, it's his reasoning. Look at that. He says, he says, look, he says, clearly I'm blessed here. My master, Potiphar, has put me in charge of everything. But wait, there's more. He could have said, I don't want to do this to Potiphar since he's given me so much. But Joseph catch this in verse nine says, how can I sin against God and do this? Day to day, my friends, Joseph had an eternal mindset. How can I sin against God and do this? Potiphar's wife keeps trying to seduce him day after day. He refuses until one day she had enough rejection and she lunges at him, grabbing his garment and she screams, lie with me. And the Bible says he runs out of the house away from her. Run! Sometimes that's the only option, right? Like when somebody's offering you heroin or when a hot chick is begging you to sleep with her. (laughs) Joseph runs She's left there holding a torn piece of his robe in her hand. She's mortified. She's angry. She doesn't want to be rejected. And so what does she do? She screams and people come running from everywhere. And she says that Joseph tried to come on to her. And she tells that to Potiphar and poor, obedient, faithful Joseph. is looking down the barrel of an enraged Potiphar shooting at him with false accusations and once again Joseph is thrown into the cistern into a pit into jail locked up punched in the face wrongly imprisoned no doubt for life game over Chained and shackled in a prison cell for, listen, doing what was right in the Lord's eyes. Ugh. Dark, light, sad, happy, wrong, right, bad, good. Back and forth. Hebrew writing. Verse 20 finds Joseph there, wrongly imprisoned, lights out the end. I was just talking to you about when I was facing the greatest adversity that I had had ever known. You know, when I was 40 years old, moving my whole life, uh, selling everything and starting this church new from scratch uh, with my brother-in-law, Jason and their family and Rachel and my kids and. Um, At that time, a lot of my old life was kind of in shambles, a pile of burning relationships and stories. And uh, there was one point I was just at my lowest and my dad told me something that I'll never forget. I think I've used it before. If the mountain was smooth, you could never climb it. Joseph here had every reason to call it quits, but enter verse 21. When the Lord was with Joseph, Joseph didn't blame God. He didn't throw in the towel. He chose to be humbled. He chose to stay faithful in his worship of God, no matter what the circumstance. Guys, it's never the Lord that leaves you. It's you that leaves the Lord. And slowly, the scriptures tell us the head jailer (laughs) starts noticing something different in Joseph. You know, the world will notice that. If you're putting God first and soon the keeper of the prison puts Joseph in charge of the whole prison. (laughs) The same thing Potiphar had done before that. Anything that happened in prison, Joseph made the call. Could this be, Kyle, why Joseph had those dreams of being in charge and everyone bowing down to him? Oh, dream bigger, my friends. God always does. Verse 23 closes the chapter out with listen to these words. Whatever Joseph did, the Lord made it succeed. Woo! I love that. Whatever Joseph did, the Lord made it succeed. Oh, it's getting good. Chapter 40 and 41 talks about Joseph interpreting dreams once again and his rise to power. Okay. Joseph's in jail, though he's running it. Eventually, the Bible says here comes God's plan in the weirdest way ever. The cupbearer of Pharaoh himself and the baker of Pharaoh himself. Screw something up and they both get thrown into Joseph's prison. Now, Joseph is in charge of them. And one night they both have a dream. And so Joseph interprets those dreams for them. The dreams turn out to be favorable for the cupbearer, but not so much for the baker. And three days later, Pharaoh is going to throw a party and he needs his two sidekicks back out of prison. And so he sends for them. And they both tell Joseph, look, thank you for your kindness. Thank you for all you've done here. Thank you for interpreting those dreams. Once we get out, we're going to tell the king and we're going to get you out. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Right? Right? wrong once they taste freedom they completely forget they ever told Joseph that my oh my when all things get better for us how many times we forget the promises that we made <laughs> one of my favorite scenes gosh I I can't remember the name of this Burt Reynolds movie <laughs> but he is uh, boy I wish I remember the name of this anyway he is uh, drowning in the ocean uh, I used this clip in some of my classes. Um, what is that movie called? Anyway, he's drowning in the ocean and he's making God all these promises and slowly he starts making it back to shore. And as he's getting back to shore, his promises become more and more diluted and less and less because he knows he's going to survive. It's a really, really funny scene. I, I'll put it in the show notes. I forget. It's a great movie. Anyway, you can look it up. Burt Reynolds promising God drowning die laughing. It's a great movie. It's old, but it's great. Anyway, long story of this longest story, even shorter. um, Pharaoh ends up having a dream of his own (laughs) that he desperately needs interpreted. And so the king asks all his wise men, hey, guys, figure this dream out. And they can't. We're going to see this again with Daniel. Things are getting tense when the cupbearer finally comes to a senses and goes, yo, yo, there's a dude. Okay. So sorry, but there's a dude in prison who I think's gonna be able to do this. And Pharaoh says, Yo dog, fetch him. So that he might tell me what my dream meant. Just make sure he gets a shower first. <laughs> so from the pit to the palace, from prison to the penthouse, bad, good, sad, happy, Joseph shows up and gives God the glory gives God the credit before he does anything else. Remember, he's fresh out of prison and he's already singing God's praises. Lesson learned. (laughs) The Bible says he interprets the dream accurately, correctly. The dream meant that there was going to be seven years of prosperity in the land of Egypt, which is going to lead to seven years of horrific loss and drought. This is a long story made short. Joseph said Pharaoh needed to put somebody wise over the land, for the next seven years that is going to store up all the provisions in preparation for the impending famine now you know just take a step back here all of pharaoh's wise men and everybody in the court must have been like who is this joker how did he know that crazy dream meant that god's ways not our ways and things start escalating quickly pharaoh says okay cool Uh, I'm going to put you in charge, Joseph, (laughs) since you're the only one that could figure this thing out. Here's my ring. Here's your power. Here's a super hot wife. Now go and start something great. (laughs) Oh, what? (laughs) Joseph was around 30 years old. And many scholars believe Yeshua, Jesus, was around 30 when he started his ministry. For seven years, Joseph excelled in all that he did, and he built huge storehouses to hold all the bounty of the land in anticipation for the coming famine. What do you do when everything's good, guys? Everyone obeyed Joseph and were under his command. Everyone, including Potiphar, his wife, that liar including the cupbearer and the head jailer. He is large and in charge of everyone. And you might be thinking the same thing here. Joseph intermarried. God said, "Don't intermarry with anybody that's foreign." So why did Joseph enter marry? Not only that, but he's embracing Egyptian culture. Like there, you know, if you to listen to my stuff on the Nephilim, you know you can't go this route. And we're gonna get into this big time in Exodus coming up here. First of all, look, Josephine was given this wife. JoJo was not given a choice but to take Asenath, the hotness, as a wife along. With the other gifts that he's given. It's just part of the whole package. Secondly, God apparently permitted this to happen. So get over it. He's about to have two boys through her. Kyle, where have I heard two sons? I know. That would be added, listen, to the great tribes of Israel. And would soon mean the tribe of the Levites would serve as priests which we'll go on to a lot in the near future, these boys he's about to have with her would complete the 12 tribes in God's way. Don't be black and white with God. You're always going to be frustrated. His ways are not our ways. And I always stop here in this portion of the story to marvel at the fact that Joseph gets promoted before anything that he predicted came true. (laughs) Psalm 21.1 tells us the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, God's ways, not our ways. He has sons born in this plentiful time named Manasseh, who was the oldest, and Ephraim, who's the younger. Manasseh's the oldest, Ephraim's the younger. Remember, the whole older one gets the blessing thing, right? Except God seemed to keep pulling a Houdini on that one, didn't he? And just as God shown Pharaoh the interpretation through Joseph's supernatural viewing of the dream, the seven years of harsh famine finally comes and and the whole known world was suffering in it. Listen, only Egypt had the proper resources. Everyone else would have to come to Egypt in order to survive sounds like Mary and Joseph wait another parallel <laughs> all would have to come to Egypt to survive including Joseph's family from back home oh his brothers who had cheated him who had sold him off so long ago would now come and bow before him just as God had orchestrated I love this let's roll into chapters 42 through 46 Here come his brothers, (laughs) desperate for food, bowing down before him, though they didn't know it was him. He was dead as far as they knew. You know this story. Joseph recognizes them and he decides to, you know, mess with them a little bit. Totally within his right. (laughs) He inquires about their family. What he really wants to know is how they're doing, including his dad. And his youngest brother, who was still back home. Jacob Israel didn't let him come for fear of losing yet another son. Favorites. And his brothers tell him that they they also had another brother, but he had long since died. Yes, he had, and God had created someone new in him. They didn't know they were staring him in the face. He has some fun and accuses them of being spies for fun and says they can only be exonerated if they return home and bring their youngest brother back. It's an odd request, yeah, but they reluctantly comply. They know Jacob's going to freak out. They head back home. They must have been a mess. Let's just keep rolling. You know the story. Since this episode is, is getting uh, into record time proportions here, uh, eventually we're going to kind of keep moving through. Joseph takes their—I'll uh, skip a few details. Joseph takes their money— takes their grain provisions to take back home. He makes them leave Simeon back in Egypt as a ransom. His brothers return home, but discover some expensive money and stuff was in their backpacks. And oh no, they're going to think we stole this. They're going to kill us when we go back to Egypt. They thought for sure they'd be busted and accused of stealing. Joseph loves, loves to pull practical, practical jokes on these turds, and I love it. Jacob freaks out. They freak out. Jacob's mad that he lost Joseph and now Simeon and they're going to have to go back and take little brother Benjamin. None of this is good. Not good at all. Long story short, Reuben steps up and tells dad, I'm going to handle it all. Dad, when we go back this time, I I will give my life in return. Everyone will return. Your sons will return. I promise you. And so Jacob, Israel agrees reluctantly to let them all go back to this Egypt to get provisions, while they had stolen paraphernalia among them, they head back to Egypt bearing gifts, fearing they'd be accused of lying and all would be ended. And Joseph continues to mess with them some more. He sits them all down at dinner and he asks them about their father. He just misses them so much. Imagine, oh, imagine how, how much Joseph wants to heal his father's broken heart by revealing that he's not only alive, but he's large and in charge. And he takes the time to mess with them some more. And he's really good at it. And quite frankly, they they deserve it. He gets to the point where he can't take it anymore. And you know that I know. That he reveals who he is in this touching, amazing moment of undeserved grace. His brothers fearing for their lives. You know, since they tried to kill him. (laughs) There's this incredible moment of love and affirmation. And Joseph says, go, bring our dad here. And they do. And Jacob is freaking out happy. Joseph is freaking out happy. The brothers are freaking out humbled. And Pharaoh gives the family whatever they want, wherever they want it. The keys to the land of Egypt are open to Jacob's family. You know, it's like they're actually blessed or something. (laughs) And Jacob blesses Pharaoh. Wow. This, my friends, was a very different Egypt than the one we will soon see. This was still one that was open to the Lord and his blessing. Chapter 47, Jacob and his whole family moved to Goshen. I know I sped through that portion, but you all know it. As the seven-year famine moves through, Jacob's family settles in the land over in Goshen. And the Bible says they were fruitful and multiplied. They were blessed. Good, bad, right, wrong. Happy, sad, light, dark, blessings, curses, blessings, curses, blessings, curses, blessings, curses. Chapter 48 and 50, Jacob's blessings. Curses were real, so were blessings. Jacob was nearing his death and Joseph took his two sons, Manasseh, which means forget Yahweh would soon help him forget the misery of what his brothers had done with Joseph. Manasseh and Ephraim, which means fruitful, God was delivering on that promise right then and there. Joseph was ready for his sons to be blessed by Jacob. Kyle, this sounds just like when Isaac, I know... Hopefully nobody has super glued fur on this time. (laughs) Chapter 48, the blessing comes and it's so very powerful. I want to stop here for a minute. I want to camp out here for a minute. I want you to picture it. Mighty Joseph brings these two boys of royalty to be blessed by God through their grandfather. It sounds like some Lord of the Ring action, except that was fiction. Jacob, the deceiver, the heel grabber, Jacob from Laban's sperm factory, Jacob, who wrestled with God and walked with a limp, reaches out to bless these boys. We're told he couldn't see very well at this point, like his father Isaac all that time ago, when he stole the birthright, when he stole the blessing. (laughs) And listen, he starts blessing the boys, except, okay, except Jacob puts his right hand on the younger boy, And his left hand on the older boy. (laughs) The younger boy once again gets the blessing. Joseph sees this, notices this. He's not happy about it. And he goes, dad, whoa, 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 whoa. I got to switch your arms here. I got to switch your arms here. It's it's supposed to be Manasseh. That is, you know, the older one's supposed to get the blessing. And he tries to switch, but Jacob refuses. Let's use his new name, shall we? Israel refuses. Israel knows both of these sons will be great, but Yahweh wants the younger to rule the older. Kyle, I've heard this a lot by now. I know Jacob had finally, after all this time, learned his lesson, guys. God's way, not my way. It had been this way for four generations. God's way will prevail. When you say yes to him, Isaac over Ishmael, Jacob over Esau, Joseph over Reuben, and now Ephraim over Manasseh. Years later, guys, as we will eventually study, Ephraim became a leading tribe in the northern kingdom of Israel, much superior to the tribe of Manasseh, as Jacob had predicted in this blessing. Guys, the tribe of the house of Joseph would one day receive double amount of land in the promised land. It is a fascinating study, one that we don't have time for right now. But he goes on to bless all of his sons, the 12 tribes of Israel in chapter 49, with stunning accuracy and predicts how they will all end up wild. We even see coming up linguistic differences between both of Joseph's boys that will show how these tribes were, they were brothers of each other, but they were still very unique and often fought with each other. It's really important to remember Ephraim and Manasseh as we venture throughout the Old Testament to remember where all the tribes we talk about come from right here in the genesis of one family. And Jacob blesses all of them. And when he's done blessing them, the Bible says he drew up his feet into the bed. He tucked himself in and he died. Guys, this portion of scripture is so important. A double portion of blessing on Joseph from Jacob onto Ephraim and Manasseh completed out the 12 tribes of Israel. There's actually 13, (laughs) but the two brothers are counted as one and we'll deal with the Levites, what happens with them later. Upon the blessings, Joseph gives out to each of the boys in the family here, the 12 tribes of Israel, there comes so much prophecy. We could never cut it, uh even come close to covering it in this episode. But I just want to point one out. A blessing over Jude here says, listen, the scepter shall not depart from Judah nor a lawgiver from between his feet until shiloh comes and to him shall be the obedience of the people shiloh meaning the messiah all the jewish rabbis knew it in 7 a.d the roman uh, roman official re- removed the legal powers of the sanhedrin okay the sanhedrin was the ruling jewish lawmakers of the time uh, of jesus including their ability to rule for capital punishment that's why they had to go to pilate to kill jesus we know from the babylonian Talmud that that these jewish rulers walked around jerusalem weeping and wiping ashes on their faith crying out that the scepter had departed from judah okay they were upset because the messiah didn't come and save them from the hand of the romans they had lost all their power. They recognized Genesis forty-nine, ten, where we're at right here. They recognized it as prophecy, but they believe they lost it now. They believe because they lost their power. They thought the Savior had to come and save them physically like an army from the hand of the Romans. Little did they know what baby lie in Bethlehem. Raised to deliver the sins of the world if they would only recognize him. Friends, the nation of Israel was growing in its incubator of Egypt. Safe and warm from the sin and vile atrocities that were building in the neighboring Canaan child sacrifice was happening worship of many lowercase gods was happening dark powers were running the entire show nephilim devouring the very land in which they lived two nations one run by kings and bloodshed evil and slave warfare one peacefully growing next door with yahweh as its leader growing incubating prospering Generations exploding in power and sheer baby making on a scale that would make Laban's sex farm look like a Scandinavian brothel on Nickel Night. I have no idea what that even means. Israel was changing, Canaan was changing, Egypt was changing, and for 400 years, the world slowly forgot who the God of Israel was. They whored after their own gods. And they had no fear of an older one named Yahweh. The book of Genesis opens with God's perfect creation and closes with a coffin in Egypt belonging to Joseph. It's indeed a book of biographies. You see now, you see that only two chapters in this incredible book are devoted to creation of all things, (laughs) unlike other world religions of that time. And the next 48 chapters deal with, listen, people. My brother-in-law, Jason Tucker, the lead pastor up here at North Rock says this all the time. God, you want to know what his will is? You want to know what his mission is? You want to know what he wants? It's people. I hope friends that fires you up, baby. Get ready. The book of Exodus is next and Yahweh is coming like a freight train through the darkness of night, roaring into an infested world ready to bring thunder and justice to their knees in ways only he can. Here we go. Thank you for listening to Drilling Down.